This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you gotta grow up sometime. second second episode of this insane podcast gotta grow up sometime where we explore the fictional eastern seaboard town of swan's crossing as seen as depicted in the 1992 short-lived tragically short-lived television show by the same name uh i am libby grant i'm nathan kessler jeffrey (laughs) good pause there we're we're (laughs) very good at doing the, the intro yeah, we don't really have our format down that much yet, but you know, it's episode two, so forgive us. Most people really pitch reviewing the episode in the first couple episodes, and I feel like for us, we would prefer that you wait for like two more episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait wait until we hit our stride. You know, do us, mm-hmm. do us a solid. We're neophytes at then this. review. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Have you been able to process the trauma from viewing your first episode of Swan's Crossing? I'm doing fine. I honestly, I think talking it out really helps. It it really yeah. like if there were if there were lingering issues, if there were lingering um, uh, psychic damage, I feel like talking it out really helps. So I'm I'm hoping that that is what we experienced today as well a, a, a sort of a sort of psychic purging. <laughs> Of, yeah. of episode two from our collective psyches. It, it's like uh, it's like going to therapy, you know? Like you experience mm-hmm. this traumatic event, leaves you confused, dazed, uh, unsure how to proceed with your normal life. What even is normal anymore, you know? Um, and you got to talk it Good out. Good question. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, how uh, are you doing? Oh, oh, I'm fine. I mean, I've watched this a bunch of times. Like... <laughs> I have binge watched Swan's Crossing, I don't know, three, four times now. Like this is, this is the way my weird brain works. I, fun fact, one of the things I'm discovering about myself over the course of this pandemic, pan, pan, pandemic, <laughs> um, is that I might be autistic. I'm not sure yet, <laughs> but um, the fact that I'm okay with just watching Swan's Crossing in its entirety over and over again probably means that there's something going on there that's not quite neurotypical because I don't think an average human brain can handle this. I have been struggling to watch the episodes two times to prepare for this podcast, so... <laughs> I love it. I put it on like when I need to take a nap because I find it weirdly comforting. Like I'll just go to sleep with Sydney screaming in the background. It's great. <laughs> my new obsession (laughs) and you're not really gonna miss anything because nothing happens well i mean some stuff happens later but granted okay nothing nothing happens until we're a little deeper into the show um when it starts not a lot happened in in the episode we're talking about today no episode two is surprisingly devoid of any kind of action or coherence 
Um, yeah. And on that note, let's talk about it. Let, let's get into it. Um, at the end mm -hmm. of the last episode, which was the first one, <laughs> I asked you to predict what was going to happen in episode two. So as a reminder to our listeners and to ourselves, here's what you said. First, you thought that helmet person is submarine girl. You uh, predicted that sub girl and her dad will find a home in Swan's Crossing. You thought Garrett goes to Swan's and Muffy figures out that he's back. Muffy Rutledge, the mayor of Swan's Crossing, who hates Garrett with a furious passion. Um, you thought we will meet Grant Booth, who is the father of Garrett and Glory. And you predicted less dancing in episode two and maybe a different science project for JT and Neil. Now that you've unfortunately Man. seen episode two... <laughs> And you know how off the mark you were with almost all your predictions. Yep. yep. Especially the dancing one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, the dancing there's really so uh, much dancing. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of dancing and it's very bad. Well, first we we have the first the, the the episode opens kind of without any fanfare with just Owen and Sandy jamming in Owen's garage. And this is the first time we get our formal introduction to the theme song. Uh, we really didn't get it in the first episode, but that's often the case with pilots. They're kind of a little unfinished. Yeah, I made the sad mistake of thinking that the song in the first episode was the theme song, and I was I was vastly wrong. I was so wrong. You can kind of get a feel for the song a little bit more in this scene because it's we get more of the lyrics than you typically get uh, when you're watching the show, and it, and it comes on as an intro. It's It's kind of like an ode to puberty, this song. Like, it's very puberty-centric. It's about, like bodies changing and urges and a desire to grow and whatnot which i didn't catch really until halfway through the episode because the song is fun fact spliced throughout the episode many times oh get used to that a lot of, oh no you will never be able to escape this song <laughs> you guys you can't see this but nathan just took off his glasses and face palmed himself and he looks very despairing <laughs> Okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, but uh, so after we have just, just a few seconds of Sandy and Owen jamming with no explanation of any story that's going on, we cut to Swan's Soda Shop where the immortal ballad of the 90s, Jump by Criss Cross, is playing from the jukebox. Did this surprise you it's at beautiful. all when you heard this? And it, I, here's the thing. I did not music as a child, <laughs> so I didn't recognize the song. No, like I was, I was raised in this like super conservative house, which bless my parents. Um, but we didn't listen to a lot of music. And so things from the eighties and nineties in particular are totally lost on me in, in the wow. musical realm. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. You could not go anywhere without jump by Criss Cross punching you in the face in the early nineties. Okay. It, it was the soundtrack of this era. And it was a hugely popular song back then. And it really kind of shocked me to hear it on this because like the production crew of Swan's Crossing sprang to license Jump for their show, but they wouldn't lay out any money for an editor. Their priorities were a little skewed here. The, the soda shop, Swan's Soda Shop, looks much busier in this episode. There's a lot oh, yeah. happening. Yeah, it's very busy. Uh, one thing I noticed though, the cornflakes were gone from the counter. I looked for that especially. Right. And I did not see any milk. So obviously, obviously, this is still the same day. So they've switched over to lunch service. Yeah, I guess so. Jazz is still there because jazz never leaves. 
<laughs> right. I, I think right. maybe Jazz might be like a ghost who haunts the place, and maybe the only people who can see her are the central cast members. Jimmy strolls in, remember him? Uh, he orders a cherry mm-hmm. cola for Garrett with no ice. And do you remember what happens when he says no ice? Sydney appears from nowhere, from like yeah. behind him, and is like, only one person <laughs> orders that. Yes. She knows it's for Garrett because he's the only person in Swan's Crossing who takes his cherry colas neat, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jimmy tries to like throw her off the set. He's like, oh, it's not for Garrett. So she's like, fine, drink it yourself. Like, <laughs> it's like right. she's throwing Stay down. And drink it. But yeah. like, what? Like, this is a challenge? Yeah. This, is, this is her sassy challenge. Honestly, I think. I think this particular episode, they've they've uh, they've decided to set plot aside for a moment in favor of sass. Like yeah. it's very sassy. It's super sassy, and also we get our first like great line of the episode where Sydney says, "Is your dead friend thirsty?" <laughs> <laughs> so good, so good. I want to. I want to again point out that in this episode, a lot of a lot of uh, cherry cola is purchased from uh, the soda shop, and no one pays. Maybe they have like a tab system here or something. I'm not sure. What's is it like the hardware store here in town where you can put stuff on account? Is this a rich people thing where you have a tab at the soda shop? Money for I nothing and cherry colas for free. <laughs> JT comes in. Because he wants to watch the Garrett and Sydney fight. He is still doing his T-minus countdown, but this time it's T-minus to Garrett showing up so Sydney can, I don't know, kick his ass or something. JT's um, very into countdowns. JT cannot stop with the countdowns. It's it's a little annoying. Sydney reveals that she's already called the fuzz on Garrett. Like, the law is out hunting for him. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, they're all acting like Garrett hiding from his friends is going to get him sentenced to a nickel at Attica. But the cops will be totally unconcerned unconcerned about the explosion caused by JT and Neil's illegal rocket experiment. Right. Also, my one of my favorite early early moments is I think Glory says, "You said you were going to give him an hour," and, and Sydney like tosses her hair and is like, "I lied." <laughs> it's such a dramatic delivery. Like Sarah was really really nailing it there. It was great. I lied. <laughs> I lied. <laughs> Okay, well, we cut back to Garrett, who's being accosted by the mysterious helmeted figure. She pulls off the helmet to reveal, Submarine Girl! You were right, Nathan! I had one correct prediction! Yay, you did it! Her real name is Callie Walker, and I have to say, she's serving up some very confusing vibes in this scene, and in many scenes to come. She plays most of her dialogue in this scene in a really sultry, like, almost sexy way, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a sexy moment, so it was a little confusing. Callie's played by Stacey Mosley, and she had a bit of an acting career since Swan's Crossing. When she was a little kid, she was in Born on the Fourth of July, which is a pretty good movie, and um, she's played quite a few guest roles on some major shows since then, including Law & Order, The West Wing, and Bones, to name just a few. It's all stuff like- she was on West Wing? Well, yeah, she she plays parts like uh like you know somebody who's just there for one episode. She's she's like I'm okay. the assistant to whoever, and I have like ten lines. So it's like you know she's a guest player basically. All right. Uh, Sydney or Stacy was sixteen when Swan's Crossing aired, and she's undoubtedly pretty good in the role of Callie Walker. I have to say, Callie's one of the few denizens of Swan's Crossing who possesses a moral compass. 
And uh, she makes a really nice foil to all the selfish assholes doing evil rich people things. <laughs> so even though um, Callie's dad, the submarine man, is super wealthy, which I guess explains why he owns a submarine of his own. But a liveaboard submarine. A <laughs> liveaboard, comfortable submarine. <laughs> but Callie herself is very down to earth and open minded. Like she's not nearly the prick the rest of the rich people are. <laughs> but also for some reason that I will never understand... Stacey Mosley played this character with, like, this really smoldering vibe, and I'm not sure whether she was directed to play Callie that way or whether this was a choice she was making as an actor. Um, I wish I knew, because it makes for some really confusing moments later in the series. Garrett looks up, sees this figure with the helmet on, has a momentary physical freakout, <laughs> and then says, you're not Jimmy. The helmet comes off, the hair tosses, and Gally goes, Jimmy, not in your wildest dreams. Then we come to a commercial break, and when we come back, we have the official title sequence, which is really something. We should go over it now just this once, because it's insane, and we'll see it in the first few minutes of every episode from here on out. Uh, how, how do you, what are, what was your initial impression of this moment? So, so there's, there's dancing, so much dancing so that was that was one of my first wrong predictions um and and they're passing there's a shot where the entire cast seems to be lined up on the edge of a pool all wearing black shirts yes thank you white and black beach ball down the line and it makes no sense to me on a number of levels. Why is there a black and white beach ball? Why are they all wearing the same color shirt? Their shorts are like, yeah. everybody has bi-colored shorts. Like the left side and the right side are different colors. But all the combinations of shorts are different. What was going on here? Interesting costuming choice that they have made, and then and then there's a lot of dancing again. And I, as I recall, it's in mono, it's in uh, like like two tone, like black and white outfits. And Sandy is doing the singing. It is very sure. weird and and just like not gracefully cut together. It feels very jarring and odd, and you don't realize at first. I think that we're witnessing the title credits, so at first you think it's just more of the story, and you're like, wait, what the hell? going on here uh -huh. um i would also like to point out that the pool they are sitting in front of is just full of inflatable floaty swans because of course it is i missed that they were swans i was so distracted by the beach ball <laughs> oh yeah they were definitely swans uh -huh. and what's more the inflatable floaty swans will come back later they will be in another scene which is i can't wait to hear your impressions of the scene because i have feelings about it um my gratuitous swan count is going to be so off Oh, no. In the title sequence, there is this beautiful, dramatic shot where the camera, like, uh, moves as Callie moves to the periscope. Oh, yeah, it's like going around her. It's amazing. I was like, this is the only interesting bit of photography in this in this show so far, is this one yeah. shot. It does. So it's like, it, it's that's in the middle of, of a cut of like just random scenes from the very first episode, like from the pilot episodes. There's like JT and Glory almost kissing, people racing mini bikes, and then dramatic action shot. 
Garrett gives Sydney the rose, and finally we wind up the song with the immortal, yeah, 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 gotta grow up, just as the rocket explodes. So, like, the end of this baffling title sequence is the exploding rocket, and I can't tell you how much I love that. It's just, like, the perfect visual metaphor for this entire show. Back to the show itself. Callie asks Garrett why he's laughing, and I think we all want to know that, honestly, because it was creepy at the end of the last episode. So, uh, tell us what he says. I mean, he's laughing at Sydney. What, What is the exact line? Yeah, he was like, uh, oh, well, there's this girl who thinks I'm dead. And then Callie yeah. is like super serious all of a sudden. She's like, that's not funny. <laughs> I just love how deeply seriously she takes this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he wants to know where she's from. She says that, you know, she's she's she lives here. And he's like, I know everyone who lives in this town and you're not one of them. Yeah, yeah, he's like, screw you, lady. So she just like, she's like, well, okay, big deal, and starts walking away. And then he's like, wait, wait, he gets up and like scrambles after her. He's like, have you been here long? And she's like, about 20 minutes. (laughs) Did you take down the next line? Because it is a good one. He says, that's long enough to know who I am. And she says, let me guess, guess. you're important. And he says, rich too. dialogue no one talks like this in real life it's so funny and then she she's super serious in their first of all i don't understand why this conversation is happening but it continues and she's super (laughs) serious through the whole thing and then right before we cut away from this scene he asks her do you ever laugh and she says all the time and then she does this like the creepiest laugh ever it is gonna haunt my nightmares (laughs) very weird (laughs) so so special but it sort of like implies that she's internally laughing at garrett right and he's not thrilled about that then we um jarringly just bounce right back to the soda shop where everyone's mad at sydney for calling the cops and they show her the note garrett wrote on the rock so I'm confused as to how Sydney figured out that Garrett wasn't dead because she hasn't seen the note until now. Right. Also, can we talk about the fact that who who's someone is carrying around this rock with the quote unquote note in their pocket this whole time? <laughs> so Sydney's pissed because Garrett tried to like humiliate her or something. I'm not sure why Sydney should feel humiliated because Garrett's being a dumbass, but there you go. And Sydney says I hate being laughed at. And then we cut right back to Garrett, who says the same thing to Callie. And she points out, she's like, well, you Mm -hmm. were just laughing at someone. And he's like, that's different. Then we cut back to Garrett's weird memory of the rose trellis and him and Sydney from the first episode, where Sydney is their, like, parting scene before the summer break. And Sydney, in his memory, is laughing at him. And he gets mad and, like, slaps the rose on her. And then, so once again, we get to relive that glorious moment where she laughs and turns and looks straight into the camera. It is very uncomfortable. (laughs) She makes direct eye contact with the viewer. (laughs) Yep, that's not the only time that happens in this episode either. No, it's not. Uh, So we're back at the soda shop again. And because I've watched this show more often than any perimenopausal woman ought to, I'm going to point something out to you now. So that you Uh two will be haunted by it in future viewings. Whenever we're in the soda shop, there's some audio editing happening with like general restaurant background noise. But it features Mm -hmm. Jazz saying to someone, you have a mouth on you, young man. 
And you will hear that sound clip again and again in every scene that takes place in the soda shop and in some scenes that don't take place there, like at other public places. You never would have noticed this if I hadn't pointed it out to you, but I did. So now it's all you will notice. Oh, no. That is amazing. Sometimes, that is incredible. Sometimes that soundbite repeats in the same scene, like on the same set. So it'll just like loop again and again when they're in Swan Soda Shop and it's all I can hear and it, it tortures me. Jazz okay. asks Jimmy to fix something and gives him a tool belt, which I guess his own, I think it was his own tool belt. And for yeah, some she... reason, Jazz had it. Jazz, apparently Jimmy keeps his tool belt at the soda shop. <laughs> and she, she asks, Jazz asks Jimmy to tighten the gears on something. And the only gears visible are the giant sculptural gears behind the counter, which yeah. I think is what he goes back there to work on. He does. Um, and I don't know what that thing is or why it's important that it be tightened because it doesn't appear to do anything. It doesn't uh, move. It's so, so weird. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Um, oh my gosh. Sydney is uh, hanging out at the soda shop because she's planning to force Jimmy to drink endless cherry colas, like force feeding a foie gras goose or something. Jimmy tells Sydney, he's like, you're being crazy. And for some reason, Jazz is emotionally invested in the conflict between Sydney and Garrett, who are 14 years old and therefore of no interest to any adult. She's like into this. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of conversation about the the Sydney Garrett drama at this point in the episode. And yeah. then and then Sydney allows herself to get distracted from talking about herself by JT's news that a new girl is moving into town, a TV star. And this yes. this finally provides some uh some relief from the incessant discussion of Garrett and Sydney's relationship. Oh thank goodness, because it goes on for way too long. So then after that news that a TV star is moving to town, we're back with Garrett and Callie again. And here's a line for the ages. Callie says, life on the edge of a cliff must be a lot of fun. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't. See, because they're standing on a cliff, like above the water. And it, I don't. That's not like an adage. <laughs> no one says that. Right, Callie's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this cliff. And Garrett's like, why? Do you live on a submarine? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, live on a yeah, I do. That, that's what happens. That's a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's any plans for them getting a house. So I guess I was wrong about that, too. <laughs> you are indeed wrong about that. She continues to live on the submarine forever. Um, oh Garrett gosh. notes that, that uh, only one submarine is ever docked in Swan's Crossing, and it is owned by, quote, some Looney Tunes captain, Captain Walker. And Callie's like, yeah, that's right. my dad. That's uh, my dad. My dad is a so Looney Tune. So now we know uh, exactly who Callie is, or at least we know as much as we're ever going to know about her. We know Captain um, Walker. We don't even know Callie's name yet. We I took a note in the episode where we learn Callie's name. Yeah, you're right. Which is practically at the end of the episode. So um, yeah, well yeah. done, writers. Back at the soda shop, Sydney is still grilling right? Jason about the new girl. She is obsessed, obsessed. New girl's name is Mila Rosanovsky. Bit of a bit of a mouthful there. Um, and Glory says, mm -hmm. oh, I remember her from this soap opera she was on called Three O'Clock Dreams. Can we, can we, yes, let's take a moment to talk about the title Three O'Clock Dreams. Yes, let's. Because it is both 
just crazy, just like absolutely nuts as a title, but also weirdly sexual. It, it does kind of have like afternoon delight vibes, doesn't it? Right? What are first of all, what are you doing at three o'clock in the afternoon at home watching television? Get a job. And if it's three <laughs> o'clock and if it's dreams at three o'clock at night, yeah, you're dreaming, you're supposed to be asleep. It is a very like lazy title for we need to we need a soap opera title, what should we call it? Uh soaps around in the afternoon, three o'clock, dreams. Done. Jeez, I also want to take a moment to appreciate how meta it is that Brittany Daniel is a child actor on a soap opera where she portrays a character who was a child actor on a soap opera. <laughs> There's this appealing symmetry to Swan's Crossing, almost like a sacred geometry. If I were high right now, I'd be super hung up on this fact. Also, full disclosure, I have watched Swan's Crossing while I was high as a kite, and it was great. It's the best experience ever. I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Pretty sure that's how I felt deep in my bones that I needed to make a podcast about this. <laughs> the devil's lettuce was if involved. You, if you need something to do on a pandemic, can I recommend Three O'Clock Dreams with Swans Crossing? <laughs> yes. We do need to break down Mila and her acting career for a second, though, because it becomes like wildly improbable as the show goes on. So let's lay the foundation, right? Mila yes. is supposed to be about 15 years old. She's like just about to turn 15 when she moves to Swan's Crossing. Sydney points out that Three O'Clock Dreams was canceled two years ago. So Mila's acting career ended when she was like 12 to 13. We don't know how long she was on this soap, but I found some promotional material for Swan's Crossing that describes Mila's character as tot star. Not a tot star, mind you, just tot star Mila Rosnowski. Like, that's her entire title. So we can assume that Mila was on the show from a pretty young age, maybe as young as her toddler years, right? I want you to bear that in mind later as, like, more shit about the roles Mila played on this soap come out, because it just gets weirder and weirder. She's like the Olsen twins of this soap. Exactly. So, like, it's not shocking that there would be a tot star during that era because as you pointed out mary kate and ashley olsen who jointly played michelle tanner on full house like from infancy really up until they were like i don't know nine ten years old something like that and i would say the olsen twins got about as wealthy as any person could ever get by having the job description tot star on their resume undoubtedly i'm sure they earned a lot yeah. of cash from full house but I don't think they ever got as rich as we'll see Mila being once she comes on the scene. And certainly no one is getting that rich from a soap that got canceled. Something fishy's going on here with Mila and her career. Everyone's kind of racking their brains trying to remember what Mila looks like from seeing her on TV. She's not famous enough to be memorable, which again, bear that in mind later. Uh, and Sydney's becoming increasingly more frantic to figure out what Mila looks like and whether she's hotter. Yes. And it does seem like, I think, I think Sydney is giving uh, Garrett a run for his money in this episode for uh, Biggest Psychopath. I mean, yeah, her fixation on Mila already is a little weird. Yeah. It's intense. I have to be honest. I did not pay a lot of attention in this scene, mostly because I kept wondering, what is Jimmy fixing back there? <laughs> it's a valid question. So, dis so distracted by the boy in the yellow jacket behind the counter doing something with a tool belt and the giant gear sculpture. 
while Jimmy is is tinkering, Sydney can feel her status as Queen Bee of Swan's Crossing just like slipping out of her harpy claws, right? Neil Neil arrives on the scene and Sydney tries to pump him for information about Mila because his dad runs a cosmetics empire and it's possible that Mila might have modeled for him at some point in the past. That's what it sounds like. Also, the the way that it's phrased, it sounds like Neil's dad got rich on hair dye. It sounds like he made his fortune in hair dye specifically. But we need to talk about why Neil's there. Because, quote unquote, they are back in the rocket business. <laughs> Neil's, Neil's dad has underwritten them for another rocket. Right. JT and Neil have this weird rapid-fire conversation about something which they refer only to as UB2B, which is a combination of sounds I really hate together. They keep talking about UB2B throughout the whole show, but it's never super clear what the hell it is. It's just like their codename for their secret project, which has something to do with rockets. It's... I mean, we kind of get a little bit of clarification on it, but it's not actual clarification. So they chatter about UB2B for a while, and um, it's it's clear that JT is getting pretty girl crazy, and he really wants to just, like, make out with glory. And Neil is pissed. And thus begins Neil Atwater's grudge against all womankind. It, it really gets... He ventures into the realms of misogyny pretty hardcore later on in the show. So uh, this is where oh, it starts. All right. Yeah, it's wild. But Glory and Neil seem to, like, get in a competition for JT's attention, and Neil wins. Oh, yeah. Listen, listen, Nathan. Neil always wins. Because JT and Neil, to to use, to borrow a phrase popular in the fan fiction community, are OTP, one true pairing. These two (laughs) are clearly in love. And no one, neither one of them realizes it yet because they're like 14-year-old boys. But they they have maybe the most loving and romantic relationship of any on Swan's Crossing. <laughs> Which is hilarious because JT seems so horny for Glory. Oh yeah, I mean, JT's clearly bisexual. <laughs> he loves Glory and he loves Neil. <laughs> okay, um, that makes me feel also, better. Yeah, it makes more sense if you just look at it like JT is bi. Um, right. Also of note... Okay. There are kids dancing in the background, but no music's playing on the jukebox. Did what? you notice that? <laughs> I did not notice that. More dancing. <laughs> oh, man. I was so distracted by Jimmy at the gears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no music okay. at all. Not even jump. Amazing. Um, well, we're going to get to my favorite sound moment in the show very soon. Oh, good. I can't wait. Sydney's Zach Morris brick phone rings, and she answers it, and it's clear that the cops have found Garrett. At some point, as Neil and JT are talking, Sydney picks up her giant phone and dials 911 for an update. I didn't even notice that she dialed 911. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't think about it either, but I, I actually went and played it back. She dials three digits, and you can hearly, clearly hear the dial tones of 911. <laughs> And she asks for an update and then says, yes, I'll hold. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Is this a a rich people thing? Is this a rich people thing? Can rich people just call 911 for an update? Yeah. Does does 911 put you on hold? I guess if you're just calling for an update, maybe they do. Maybe. I don't know. Oh my god. We cut back to Garrett and Callie on top of a cliff, and um, they're being menaced by a helicopter. 
which is interesting. The, the Callie's like really spooked by the helicopter and flees the scene, or she's trying to anyway. And it's never really explained why she's so anxious around choppers. Like maybe it ties into the nefarious pre-Swans Crossing backstory that's never actually explored. I don't know. I mean, the thing that we have to remember for the walkers is this is the only place. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> they have fucked up in literally every other place they've ever submarined to, including Zanzibar. <laughs> and this is the only place left. <laughs> the only place left. Oh, anyway, Garrett's like flirting with her and won't let her run off yet. And she's he's like, when can I see you again? And she says... She'll be back for the 4th of July celebration. And Garrett asks why, which is such an odd question to ask. Because it's the 4th, you ding-dong. And that's like a perfectly normal reason for someone to come back to a town. Right. It, it is the only, It is one of the big reasons that people come to our town every year. Yes. <laughs> is our giant, small-town 4th of July celebration, where there's... Red, white, and blue bunting literally everywhere. Everywhere. It's insane. I, I, By the way, Nathan, have I told you that from my backyard, I have the most incredible view of the town fireworks show? No. Uh, you guys need to come over this year for the 4th because it is okay. bonkers. It basically is like the fireworks are happening right above my house. It's great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. I would love to do yeah. that. We can see them from our window in our bedroom. Um, but I have this thing about 4th of July in that I don't particularly care for crowds. Yeah, I don't either. So I don't, like, go to the parade. I don't go to the pig war picnic. None of that is really, like, appealing to me. So, yes, I will happily take you Oh, yeah. Come over here. Just hang out. We'll barbecue. And I have these big old moss-covered rocks in the back of my yard. And we all just sit up there. And we watch the fireworks, which are practically directly overhead. And then when those fireworks are over, we have a straight shot view across the bay to Lopez Island. And we can see the Lopez Island fireworks show, too. What? I know. It's Amazing. Great. That's, why, Love it. that's why my tiny little house cost almost half a million dollars. <laughs> it turns out that uh, this stupid question on Garrett's part is just a clever setup for the dialogue. Because Callie uh, smolderingly answers, I like fireworks. So good. Her dialogue is so inappropriate for what's supposed to be a 14-year-old girl. I like fireworks. Oh, God. I like fireworks. Back at Owen's garage, Sandy and Owen are practicing with their band, which is more like a half band. It's just the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. They're um mm-hmm. we'll later learn they're trying to form an actual band with like at least four musicians total. But apparently no one, in, no one in Swan's Crossing wants to jam with them, which is maybe because Sandy's poor? I don't know. Probably. They are, this is the moment at which I took a note that this song is about puberty. It is. Uh, which is exciting. And this is also the first time, and I hope not the only time, we get a dream sequence from Sandy about her imaginary life as this singer with her enormous hair and an incredibly large hair bow. Oh my god, her hair is so huge. Yeah, okay, like, the camera zooms in on Candy's- this Candy. Camera zooms in on Sandy's face, which is our clue that we're, like, transitioning into her fantasy sequence, and what a fantasy it is. Like, she Oof. is rocking an outfit, and my god, that teased hair, it is- her hair is vast. 
She's backlit. There's there's smoke, but it's just her. Yes, and and that hair bow is just enormous. It's it, and this yeah. outfit is is kind of like um the like a virgin iteration of Madonna, but like the part of that video where she's in the black outfit, and I, not the white one. So it's like dark Madonna aesthetic, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the dark academia aesthetic all the kids these days are wild about on the Instagrams, but like way more late 80s. Um, yeah, and there's like a fog machine and lights and Sandy's like dancing around and there's a cheering crowd. And really, like, it cannot be overstated how huge her hair is. It is gigantic. Yeah. Which this dream sequence is interrupted by the arrival of Sydney, who has come to get Sandy to drive past Mila's house. Yeah. Which is obviously much more important than whatever Sandy is doing. It is not clear why she needs Sandy to drive by Mila's house, other than apparently Sydney can't do things by herself. Yeah, it's weird. So Sandy's like really reluctant to go. And I don't know whether it's because she was pulled out of her like a virgin fantasy or because she's entering the depressive cycle of her as yet undiagnosed bipolar disorder. But Mm -hmm. she like very weakly and depressively says, I promised Owen I'd work on this song. <laughs> like the way yep. she delivers that line is so funny to me. Like she, it's like she's waking up from surgery and Sydney yep. just like steamrolls over her. She's like, I don't care. We're going. And meanwhile, 100%. Owen just sits there and says nothing. He's literally says oblivious. Nothing. Just keeps playing. Yeah. And then Sandy or uh, Sydney leaves, and Sandy takes to the camera with this look of like longing and what am I supposed to do on my face? <laughs> it's so good. Um, <sighs> and then, uh, then we cut to a really weird scene where JT sneaks up on Glory, who's walking alone through an alley somewhere. And, right, the only alley in Swan's yeah. Crossing, obviously. And Glory acts like she's fine with a man running up behind her and grabbing her in an alley, which I assure you, no female <laughs> person is ever okay with. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. I don't think anyone should be okay with that. No, it was very weird. And here comes my unfortunate neurodivergence again, where I'm unable to stop fixating on the fact that before he delivers most of his lines... JT keeps sucking at his own teeth. I want to yes. murder him. Yeah, I don't think you have to be neurodivergent to notice and be irritated by that particular acting Oh, choice. man. Why didn't the director tell him to try something else there? Anyway, yeah. um, he's like, I took a detour on the way to the library so he could be alone with Glory, basically, right? He's like, I want a Mac on you. Glory seems concerned about Garrett getting in the way of of her and JT's relationship and how much JT hates Garrett. Um, but the thing that I don't understand is how Garrett is going to get in the way of Glory going to JT's basketball or baseball practice tomorrow. Yeah, it's really not clear in the scene. I mean, later we find out that Garrett is also on the same team, so maybe he's going to be a douchebag like at practice. But it, it's so unclear in the scene. It's like. Why would your brother care if you go watch your boyfriend's baseball practice? Also, why would you go watch your boyfriend's baseball practice? Sounds so boring. Like, I'm sure Glory has other shit she could be doing, right? But she's going to go watch JT swing a bat around. Come on. Right? (laughs) Glory's like, oh, I wish you and Garrett would get along. Try to shake hands or something. And then JT (laughs) says, yeah, right. You ever try shaking hands with the hologram? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yep. What does that yep. mean? That's not a thing people say. 
Nope. Nope. But he does agree to try. He seems he seems invested in trying to get along with Garrett, at least at the end of this conversation. Yeah. Fair dues to JT. He he tries. He tries to juggle all these weird complex relationships. And then Neil pages him. Oh my god. Hey kids, remember pagers? <laughs> Like when I where I grew up, if you had a pager, you were either a doctor or a drug dealer. <laughs> like those were the two options for people who had pagers. Yes. But apparently this 14-year-old child has a pager. Oh my god, it's so funny. And Neil is like being super possessive. He's the most needy almost boyfriend in the history of almost boyfriends. And like oh poor JT man, everybody wants a piece of his dick. Nobody's gonna <laughs> give him any peace. <laughs> God, just gotta get back there. Yeah, and but he's he's my but probably my favorite thing about this scene is the way that it ends with JT's like slow walk away. <laughs> he slowly walks away, unable to break the bond between himself and Neil. Glory like sadly watches him go, but like Glory, right. step aside, girl. You can't stand in the way of true love. Such longing there. Oh my God. Can we talk, though, for a moment about Glory's hair? Yes. Glory seems to have just some phenomenal Her hair, hair is glorious. It's amazing. Yeah. It really is truly wonderful. And not in, like, not in a way that draws attention. It's just, like, every time, every, like, every time the light catches it, I'm like, wow, you have really great hair. Oh, yeah. She, has, she has beautiful hair. It's long. It's, um, it's straight, but, like, very thick. And it's, like, a yeah. beautiful kind of auburn red. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's very, very pretty. Um, my sister has hair like that, and her kids do too, but um, I do not have hair like that, and I was very jealous growing up because people would literally, like, run across parking lots to tell my sister how gorgeous she was because her hair is, like, so stunning. <laughs> and I was always like, yeah, I wish I had red hair. <laughs> oh, gosh. Glory does have great hair, though. And she she works it, man. She works it subtly, but to great effect. She She's always mm -hmm. got, like, a little quiet hair flip going on that just makes you look at her and go damn girl your hair right it's not it's not nearly as like eye-catching as the like epic hair tosses that Callie is throwing in um and I think that's one of the reasons that it's working oh yeah less is more glory understands that the police come running up the cliff face which is weird because they just descended in the helicopter like at the top of the cliff so I'm not sure why they're at the bottom of the cliff now I'm very confused about the height of the cliff. Just like, is it is it like a five foot cliff? Is it like a 30 foot cliff? How, like, what size cliff are we talking about here? Because they do seem to get right up to the edge of it a number of times. It is, so. it's totally impossible to tell. And also worth noting that in the very first episode where Garrett was like hiding after the rocket explosion, there's obviously no cliff there. He was hiding like at the edge of the beach. And supposedly right. he has not moved at all from this place, but suddenly there is a cliff. Um, right. Very convenient. Yes. But, the, but the police show yeah, up. Yeah, the police show up. They they jog up to him. The mail cop is like, hey, we heard a report of an explosion. Yes, an entire hour ago. Where were you mm -hmm. guys? Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And Garrett recognizes Officer Moore, yeah. uh, who gave the ticket to Ralph in the last episode. Right. But the thing that lo that I love about this moment is he recognized her like he spent considerable time with this person. Well, it's kind of clear why. Because, well, first of all, she's pissed because they got called out to search for him five minutes before dinner break. So I guess the entire police force goes on break at the same time. 
uh, right. good information for anybody who wants to commit a crime in Swan's Crossing. Officer Moore is like, well, I'm going to let it go because your dad is a real friend of the force. So mm-hmm. clearly, Garrett's dad is bribing the police. Obviously. And then and then my favorite line in the episode, Garrett promises to never miss the police barbecue again, to which Officer Moore responds, oh, you might. It's a lot of grease. <laughs> what? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure what the implication is there or what is even supposed to be accomplished by the dialogue at this point. Very confusing. A lot of grease. Uh, meanwhile, Sydney and Sandy arrive at Mila's soon-to-be home, which is clearly made out of plastic. Right? It's it's literally only the amount of home that they needed to fill the frame of the camera. Yeah. I have legit seen sets in stage productions that were more convincing than this. <laughs> and and so so many good things to talk about here. First of all, again... Why is Sandy here? Sandy does not give a shit about this person. It's so weird. Um, and then Sydney crouches down next to the door and says, no keyhole. <laughs> is is this a rich people thing? <laughs> do you have do you have house doors with no keys? So so Ralph, the chauffeur, has confirmed that this is the house, and Sandy assumes that they haven't moved in. Do they not get keyholes in the doors until they move in? Like, do you move in and then you're like, mm, what type of keyhole shall I shall I pick for my for my mansion? It's very weird. Well, I think I think what was happening there is that Sydney was trying to look through like an old tiny open keyhole to like see the interior of the house. I only came to that conclusion after watching the show a few times, right? Because it is very like, what? No keyhole? What do you mean? So I think and that's it, what's going on. It's not super clear. It, as to whether or not there is a knob on the door. It doesn't look I like mean, there that's, is. That's how unconvincing this set is, is that this is a, it looks like, you know what it looks like? It looks like one of those garden doors in like a, in like a stone garden wall that just is flat. You know what I mean? It can only be open from the inside or something. Yeah. Like it's just mind boggling. Sydney falls into a dreadful reverie, uh, wondering what's going to happen to her once Mila arrives. She's like, what if no one cares about me anymore? What if she's prettier? And, like, she goes through, like, every superlative that Mila could potentially be, and Sandy keeps trying to, like, talk her down and comfort her. And Sandy, because Sydney is obsessed with, like, what she's up against with this girl moving in, and she says to Sandy, you don't understand, you've never been popular. Oh my god, Sydney is such a stone-cold bitch. So mean. Uh, I'd like to go back for just a second, though, because I would like to give you your uh, professional word person uh, badge of the day for dreadful reverie. Thank you. Beautiful. I'm doing a curtsy, but you can't see it. Yeah, so she grossly insults Sandy. Sandy is clearly like, whoa, what the hell, man? And then Sydney's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I just mean, you know, you're already part of the group. So, like, it doesn't, it doesn't, her, if, when Mila shows up, it won't make any difference to your status, like your social status. And S- Sandy's like, oh, okay. And then, then, then Sydney goes through, what if she's prettier? And Sandy, un, un- understand, like, boggling my mind, uh, says, you're pretty and r- thin and rich. <laughs> And then Sydney goes, what if she's smarter? And then Sandy says, well, then you have a problem. <laughs> I mean, at least Sandy got her revenge, I suppose. Oh, my gosh. 
Sandy offers a bunch of encouragement. Sydney says she's a good friend, hugs her, and then asks Sandy, would you mind walking home? <laughs> Because Sandy wants to get info. She's so obsessed with finding out about Mila that she wants to get home before her mother leaves for a meeting. It's kind of far for Sandy to walk. Why on earth can't Ralph drop Sandy off after dropping Sydney off? I do not understand. Like, what is the point of having a chauffeur if they don't drive people places. Right. Isn't that kind of Ralph's function to just like drive various people to various locations? Like, I think so. Yeah. So I just want to, I want to make sure I, I'm understanding the sequence of events here. Sandy, Sydney kidnaps Sandy from working with Owen for no reason, brings her to this house that is not either of theirs to spy, insults her popularity and then asks her to walk home on her own. Yeah. Yeah. You're correct. Okay. <laughs> Sydney is the worst. Yeah, Sydney has to rush home to talk to her mom because apparently Mila's mom and Sydney's mom grew up together as like best friends in Swan's Crossing, which is really odd for reasons that will become clear later. Sydney gets back into her convertible, manipulates Sandy some more, and then says, use your pedal to Ralph, which, ugh, I'm so sick of that line. Think of uh -huh. some dumb catchphrase, Sydney. You gotta try harder. And away they zoom, just totally screwing Sandy over. Sandy is left kind of standing forlornly beneath a bower of roses. There are lots of rose bowers in Swan's Crossing. Yeah. I mean, what, like, how else do you decorate swans? I suppose. Um, you always, they're surrounded by roses. Garrett is still lingering on the beach cliffs. It's sunset now. He hears someone behind him and he assumes it's Callie coming back, drawn to him like a moth to a flame. Uh, but it's Jimmy instead. He has procured the cherry coke, no ice. <laughs> he does. He gives it to Garrett and Garrett takes a sip of it. And then Jimmy's like, Sydney, drink some. And Garrett does a very enthusiastic spit take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then jimmy's like sydney isn't even thinking about you anymore she's obsessed with this new girl who's moving to town right so he kind of fills him in he fills garrett in a little bit on uh on the mila situation right and garrett gets the idea to that getting to know mila will drive sydney up the wall seems very pleased by this yeah and he initially seems to think at first that callie is mila that's what I was wondering, but it's it's resolved very quickly. Yes, that that they are different people. I think because the last shot of the episode really made, had me going on something. So we're gonna come back to that. Yes, um, but <laughs> this is my favorite. We cut back to Owen for a for a hot second. Working the Casio, but there's no sound coming out of his keyboard. This made me so happy. He's just plunking on the keyboard, and nobody edited music over the top of it, so you just hear his fingers, like, impotently mashing the keys. <laughs> and, then, and then we cut to Sandy, who's walking home and singing... And then she spins around a light pole a number of times. Listen, Nathan, spin is a generous word, a generous verb. Spin implies some speed. 
Right. I would say she orbits. <laughs> she orbits the light pole several times, almost as if that's where the set ends. And if she takes one more step, the camera's gonna like pan into the into <laughs> the, the crib. It's she walks. She's. It also appears to be nighttime, which is interesting. So she's wandering right. through the darkness, singing slowly and depressively to herself. She very slowly circles this this light post several times. And that's it. There's no purpose to the scene. It's just Sandy meandering around. And then we cut back to Garrett and Jimmy. And it turns out Garrett met Mila in France. Well. And this is this is the part that really messed me up. Okay, go ahead and I'll, I'll see if I can explain it to you. Jimmy, Jimmy asks Garrett how she is or like what she's like. Um... And then as Garrett is saying the last couple lines of the episode, uh, we cut to uh, the image of Callie in the submarine looking up through the periscope. We're not clear if she's looking at the guys or if she's just checking out what's happening up top. But Garrett's voiceover is, you wouldn't believe how much she's changed. And then Callie does this like dramatic spin and like leans back against the periscope. And I'm like, are we supposed to imply that Mila and Callie are the same person? No. So what's, what's really going on here? Although you're right. It is not clear. Um, Garrett is just claiming that he met Mila in France. It's a lie. He's just, he's trying to set up his like web of lies already that he's going to use to humiliate Sydney later on. So he's, he's trying to start the rumor basically via Jimmy that he already knows Mila from his boarding school in France. And he's going to make people believe that Callie is Mila. Cause now he knows that Callie is going to be at the 4th of July celebration. Right. So, so he's basically going to tell everybody that Mila, he's, he's going to give a description for Mila Rosnovsky that matches Callie Walker. Okay, so this this truly screws with what I had predicted for next oh. episode. Oh, I still want to, I still want to hear what you predict. But first, we got to do our other our other bits here. Yes, who was yeah. the most psychotic character in this episode? I have to, I have to say, Sydney, the obsession over. Mila and like dragging a friend along who you then abandon at a stranger's home. Yeah. Is just bananas. Yeah. She really took the psycho cake in this one. That was, that was pretty hardcore. Um, Yeah. You want to give us our swan count? Well, I had no new swans because I did not notice that the floaties were swans. So I'm going to have to update this, but my actual swan count is 16 and my other swan count is two. And we're going to have to add in the floaty swans. Add in the floaty swans. There's also one in Swan Soda Shop, which we see for the first time. It's like a stupid swan sculpture in the background, like where the kids are okay. to know music. Um, All right. I was not paying enough attention to the swans. That's okay. All right. I will, I will go back and update the swan count for next Listen, episode. by the time we get to episode 65, our swan count is going to have been abandoned anyway, because it's just too much. You can't keep up with this many swans. Tell me your predictions for episode three. Well, this is this is before I really understood what was going on with the ending. That's fine. Okay. I'm very confused by the last moment when we're seeing Callie, uh, but the guys are talking about Mila. I know this is wrong, but I think in the next episode, it's revealed that Mila and Callie are actually the same person. And in the next episode, Mila slash Callie moves into the house. Garrett decides to try to start dating her. JT tries being nice to Garrett. But Garrett somehow ruins Glory going to JT's baseball practice, and we get some sort of new information about the mayoral race. 
Okay. Um, fairly solid predictions for the most part. Uh, and I am interested in seeing uh, your reaction to, to the reality such as it is, if anything in Swan's Crossing can be so described. Absolutely. Um, well, I guess that brings us to the end of this fabulous episode, and uh, and uh, we will resign to our respect- respective dreadful reveries and await next week when we will view episode three. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. Yes. Goodbye. long enough to know who I am. Oh, let me guess. You're important, right? Rich, too. But I guess you don't care about those things. <laughs>